Counterspin Media presents the New Zealand 2023 election special. Building on a 168-year heritage with 41 of the finest, most honest, most loyal, most caring and kindest prime ministers in the world. It's time to pick the winner. This is a COVID-1984 announcement. Have you been missing our COVID-1984 announcements? Missing all the lockdowns? Poisonous jab mandates? No jab, no job policies? And most of all, Cindy's famous traffic lights? Well, don't be disappointed. Omicron be damned. We're coming back in style. It's now time to bring back the designer masks, lockdowns and mail-in ballots, just in time for the general election. We are releasing the newest and biggest variant of all time. Labor BS 24-7. But don't panic, we already have a new jab potion arriving next month, so when it comes, just shut up and get the jab. Labor BS 24-7. In it for you. For the next three years. Be brave. Do not comply. Welcome to Counterspin. I'm Hannah Spera, and I can't work out whether that alert message there was an official message or a party political campaign. And either way, it doesn't really matter. We brought that clip back in in our previous episode where we put forward the proposition that lockdowns could be coming back in September and October, and that would be just in time for New Zealand's general election. I mean, here in New Zealand, there hasn't been too much noise being made about these potential um, COVID uh, measures coming back. But in America, it's certainly been going off. And even President Trump weighed in on it, on it this week. Left-wing lunatics are trying very hard to bring back COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. They want to restart the COVID hysteria so they can justify more lockdowns, more censorship, more illegal drop boxes, more mail-in ballots, and trillions of dollars in payoffs to their political allies heading into the 2024 election. Does that sound familiar? These are bad people. These are sick people we're dealing with. But to every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom, hear these words, we will not comply so don't even think about it. We will not shut down our schools. We will not accept your lockdowns. We will not abide by your mask mandates. And we will not tolerate your vaccine mandates. They rigged the 2020 election, and now they're trying to do the same thing all over again by rigging the most important election in the history of our country, the 2024 election, even if it means trying to bring back COVID but they will fail because we will not let it happen. When I'm back in the White House, I will use every available authority to cut federal funding to any school, college, airline, or public transportation system that imposes a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate. Thank you very much. And whilst the American elections are, of course, at least a year away, here in New Zealand next month, how will our elections be affected? And do we even need elections? That's, of course, a question that the would-be overlord of the world keeps asking Klaus Schwab. Check this out. Uh, but one one fear which I have heard is that technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have 
an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But then the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Can you imagine such a world? And whilst Schwab is just saying, you know, just imagine it, uh, why would he be saying it if he wasn't trying to plant that seed? And many have talked about the technocratic, bureaucratic, totalitarian state that, that they want to usher in, which would leave national elections basically null and void uh, if they're bringing in the policies from the global organisations anyway. So election integrity is a big topic around the world and it certainly needs to be a discussion had here in New Zealand. Last week we also had a, a brief introduction to the election integrity project here in New Zealand with Tracy Livingston and at the end of this episode we are going to play an extended interview with her. So stay tuned for that so you can see how you can get involved with making sure that our upcoming election uh, stays honest and fair. But before we bring Tracy back on, we are going to have uh, the leaders of four of the minor parties who are not currently in government but are vying for your vote. And before we get into them, I just want to say we have reached out to New Zealand. Alfred Naro was scheduled to come on, but he pulled out at exactly the moment we were supposed to have an interview, citing um, family and work commitments. Um, the New Conservatives have not replied. The Animal Justice Party is unavailable. Top hasn't replied. New Zealand First is kind of doing this political uh, dance, I guess. We've had a few conversations and it hasn't really gone anywhere. So I'm just going to take that as they don't want to appear. And we are still yet to reach out to the Women's Rights Party and the Democratic Alliance, which is also an umbrella party but doesn't have any parties in that alliance at the moment and I'd be surprised if the Women's Rights Party do decide to come on because we've reached out to them before in regards to the Posey Parker stuff uh, when they were doing standby um, sorry speak up for women and they didn't want to come on so we'll we'll keep trying but that's where we're at and today we do have four people that said yes, said yes. that was Rock the Votes Michael Avenel, Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party Marky Herbert, Freedoms NZ Brian Tamaki and Leighton Baker from the Leighton Baker Party now they are all parties that are not represented in Parliament at the moment. So those are the ones we are focusing on here at Counterspin in our election specials. Mainstream media does a good job of covering all those who are already represented. So don't forget we will be running a poll at the end of this episode on our Telegram and our Twitter pages so that you can vote um, and let us know who you thought came out on top. And also, if you just want to join us on social media, we are also on Facebook, Gab, uh, Getter, and Truth Social. So it'd be great to hear from you there. So without further ado, uh, this is just the order in which we recorded them. Uh, so let's first hear from Marky Herbert from the Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party. We are now joined by Marky Herbert. She is the co-leader of the Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party, which is a party that's actually been around since 1996. Um, so welcome to the show, Marky. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, get our 
face out there. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, we're doing the selection special series and people wanted to hear from you. So we want to know a bit more. Let's maybe start with just um, what are your party's main policies? Uh, definitely legalisation to regulate the cannabis industry. Um, and that's for recreational as well. That's our number one platform. Then the full uh, hemp industry, hemp for jobs, and expungement of convictions, cannabis uh, convictions. Okay, so, and and of course, um, at the last election, wasn't it, um, mm -hmm. they had a referendum mm -hmm. um, about decriminalising uh, cannabis? Oh, well, it was a control bill policy they were trying to introduce for the referenda. Um, and as we know, we just missed by a fraction but we do know that 1.4 million people voted for the yes. So at least uh, those people can align with us if they want to. However, you know, we're, we're battling the minor party syndrome. Well, that's right. And, you know, the Green Party has really picked up this policy over the years. Um, mm. I mean, is there a real need for a specific party to legalise cannabis at this point when you've got one of the kind of more mainstream minor parties taking well, on the would, issue? You would think that the mainstream party would have this under control and sort it out by now, particularly with the render, referenda that went through. Um, but they've dropped it like a hot potato. Nobody's talking about it. Um, no party's talking about it, except for us, again. So if we haven't shown our loyalty to the 1.4 million people that voted yes, well, I don't know what else people want. You know, we are going to be only a, a minor party in the big picture if we get past the post. 5% is a damn lot for us. But if people want to make a change, this is it. So just to drill down, Chloe Schwalbrick, uh as the MP for Auckland and the, for the Greens Party, she's still very much, uh, seems to be, at least according to their website, pushing the cannabis law reform and apparently she has a bill a member's bill before parliament which would legalize access to cannabis products for new zealanders suffering from terminal illness or debilitating condition uh, and of course if you look at their drug law reform policy they you know want to um also make it more of a health issue rather than a criminal issue is there anything that specifically differentiates your party to the green party in terms of cannabis legislation well, they're in Parliament, and we're not. I'm sure anyone that takes up the issue of the cannabis law is going to be doing what they need to do, and that is change it. So at this point, is your party more maybe about awareness raising because obviously there's a party that kind of represents your issue um, yeah. already? Um, yeah, um, we're always about education and awareness, so... Uh, however, I think that don't underestimate the minor party. And I think, you know, I've been forced to say which party would I vote if it wasn't for a minor party. Well, it would have been green, but I'm now determined to say no, ALCP. We're the only party that's always continually advocating for the vulnerable. And we want freedom, justice and the truth. That's all.
Yeah, because um, there, there is a lot of, I guess, acceptance now for recreational use, and it's been used a lot more as uh, medicine. There's a lot more green fairies popping up, um, people understanding the, the healing properties. But what's the situation with big pharma? You know, is this going to be another issue where mm. the small guy gets kind of taken out and it becomes a big pharma operation? It's already happening with the medicinal. So... You know, that's going to happen regardless because people are in for it for the money. Um, but what we want really at the end of the day is for people to feel safe in their own home, to be a recreational smoker um, without the fear of having a knock on the door to say, oh, we can smell cannabis and we're coming here to arrest you. Really, that's what rec um, uh, recreational uh, smoking looks like is that we just want to be safe in our own home. Yeah, and I guess uh, maybe the counter argument to that is is once you legalise it, it becomes sort of normalised and then where do we draw the line? You know, there's certainly a push for decriminalising <laughs> all drugs. Yeah. Um, do you have a position on other drugs as well? Um, well, personally, I would like to see all drugs taken out of the Misuse Drugs Act and put into the health sector and become a health issue, not a criminal issue. Definitely. If we can do that, then that's probably saves us from keep on doing what we're doing. But really, at the end of the day, we just want um, the authorities to just back off and just deal to the ones that are doing the real harm to our community. Yeah. Now, some of the questions I've been asking the other parties uh, may not necessarily um, be part of your remit but let's see because the world health organization is of course an international body that wants to influence new zealand health policy now i guess or maybe you could just expand on it um you know with a lot the, the the plethora of uh uses that cannabis has for certain medical um issues do you think the world health organization should be having a say in new zealand health policy yeah, well, that's a double-edged sword, isn't it, really, at the end of the day, because yes, we do, but yes, we don't. Um, surely we are a country that already know the stats and how medicinal cannabis stands. We've got it legal here in New Zealand, so it's not as though that we can back out of that. Um, we just need to, type, well, look at the regulations again. As you know, they're either stringent or so grey, nobody really wants to go down that route. Um, as far as the World Health um, Association, well, we've got to have guidelines, I suppose, don't we? Well, yes, yeah, some might say that, but of course there is uh, the bigger picture where others are saying there's too much international control coming from those organisations and New Zealand ought to be a sovereign um, nation state that can implement its own policy without having to follow uh, foreign a foreign agenda essentially so if, I agree. yeah so you you think we should be kind of making our own policies rather than yeah, being influenced definitely well the thing is that new zealand governments have always taken um examples from other countries and how to improve our communities our societies well they've failed at a whole lot of other stuff let's just try and make it happen for aotearoa and, you know, like hemp itself is a health um, food. 
cannabis is medicinal and cannabis medicinal cannabis is actually the same plant that we use for recreational is it because i guess there's different levels of thc or what's what's the can you can you maybe clarify that for people who might think they might be looking at medicinal cannabis for an ailment but then they think oh i don't really want to get high how does it work and it is one of the common um things that come across is that people don't necessarily want to get high well then they have a choice of the drops or the spray um getting high is a form of medicated just like you would be medicated on um tramadol and morphine and those types of drugs surgical pharmacy drugs they come with effects so why is it a big thing about cannabis having an effect where people think whatever high means it's probably not what they think it is because they've all been indoctrinated to see the picture of the young people taking a big Bob Marley joint and puff all this puff out. That's what a lot of people see. But in fact, a lot of us don't even engage in that so much anymore, particularly as we get older. We just want to be at home. So our health comes from that. Our, our mental health comes from just knowing that we could be safe. And so if there's, oh, sorry, yeah. Cannabis gives people that. They give them that peace of mind that they're, they're legal and the doctor has prescribed it. So that's the difference between a legal market and an unregulated market is that so, it's the same plant, but one hasn't been prescribed by the doctor. Right. So if someone's at home, you know, they're thinking, yeah, maybe I want to try a non-pharmaceutical um, product, how would they go about talking to their doctor to get a prescription? Well, that's literally all you have to do is go into your doctor and just ask the question. If And sometimes they will say no because they don't want to be in that arena. But there are doctors that are available that will help you out. And there are also online clinics available. And what are we seeing with, um, you know, maybe these green fairies? Are any of them being arrested, you know, for being on a black market? You know, a lot of them are helping cancer patients. Um, you know, is, is there well, kind of... Some... Well, we're actually filling a gap at the moment, um, the green fairies. So you've got the legal side. People will go to the doctor and feel really safe. But that comes with a cost. So it's double the cost that you would get from a green fairy from an unregulated market. Right, yeah, of course. Um, and are the prescriptions that you get from a doctor, are they from like pharmaceutical, from pharmaceutical grade um, product um, makers or are they also yeah. from more home-based well, producers? Um, well, from what I see, and I've just had the experience of that uh, a few weekends ago, and that was that there were two registered doctors available at this event who prescribed the person whatever they needed. And after a certain time, they were able to dispense that medication. And what it allows is that there's a container. So I know that New Zealand growing medicinal cannabis in a laboratory setting, everything's sterile, goes to Australia to be manicured and packaged to come back to New Zealand. So when it gets here into New Zealand, there's that cost, and so the prices goes up. Um, on the bottle, we'll have a sticker, just like an ordinary prescription with your 
um, hospital details, your name, date of birth, and your phone number, if that's what they put on them these days. I don't know. Um, and that will keep you peace of mind, um, assured that you're safe from the law. Right. And um, now this topic, again, may not um, be relevant to your party, but have you got any um, crossover with other parties? Would you be willing to work with other parties that, you know, how? I mean, I suppose we should first ask how many candidates are you standing and would you be willing to do deals with other minor parties that if your candidate was the best one that, you know, or they had the best one that they, you know, you could make some sort of arrangement to accommodate the best person? I, yeah, I think that um, it's already been happening un unfiltered. Um, the build, uh, coming or coalition of the minor parties, however, I think that, um, yes, and maybe sometime soon down the track that could happen, but I believe our Electoral Commission doesn't allow us to co uh, collaborate together after the fact. So if we were to do a, uh, a collection of minor parties, um, then that would actually become a bit of a problem for the Electoral Commission, I think. However... Yeah, there is the Umbrella Party, Freedoms yes. New Zealand. The yes. one problem that I see there is that there are Christian parties and Christians involved, and I guess that kind of seems to be one of the biggest... Uh, debates or arguments that, you know, Christians have with, you know, people that might advocate for your party is that they they don't want any drugs legalised. But is that something you could work through theoretically? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Um, all depends on that, um, uh, I suppose, how staunch they are on this point of view. Um, yeah. But, you know, really, we can connect cannabis to um, the Bible anyway with the anointment of um, cannabis oil on Jesus Christ and it's also on the first page of the Bible that you know God saw all seed bearing plants herbs to be good and it was so so if that's the only thing I take from the Bible well those are the only two things I take from the Bible uh, apart from the Ten Commandments you know I think they're good guidelines as well yeah, well, that's what people would argue, I suppose, that God created all plants and, um, you know, creatures to be um, used by humans in, mm. in a good way. And, you know, there's, I guess there's a medicine for everything, apparently, in the natural um, pharmacy world. We don't have to synthesise everything. Um, so just before you go, how have you guys been going with getting more, getting your message to the mainstream, getting cut through with mainstream media and maybe drawing in people who may not necessarily vote for your party initially? Uh, well, our website is up and running. Um, I don't know exactly how that's going um, at this point, but we're, you know, we're, we're trying to be up with the with the young fellas with, you know, graphics and all the rest of it and the flash things that go across and, you know, all that. Um, we've got 14 candidates uh, lined up for the election from Southland to the top of the North Island, Titai Tukuro, Northland, Whangarei, Albany, Auckland, Tauranga, Wellington, Dun uh, Christchurch, Dunedin. Yeah, so we've, we've pretty much covered our basis for 14 candidates. Excellent. So do you guys have a Facebook page or any other social media where people can follow what you're doing and maybe just give that website 
if you've got it on hand so yeah, that um, so people can join. www.aacp.org.nz and, of course, uh, just Facebook page us and we haven't really had a really good success with our pages, but we'll, we're going to give it a go this time, you know. Up and running, here we come. Excellent. Well, we wish you all the very best for the upcoming election. And, um, you know, if you've got anything that you think the public should know, just let us know and we'll put it out there. Okay. Well, really, at the end of the day, I think that um, if you're over what's been going on for centuries, first one past the post, um, then it's up to you to make a change. Do something hey, different. Just before you go, did marijuana or cannabis, did it cure COVID? Well, it, it helped me. I didn't get COVID. All right. Okay. There you go, folks. Another cure for COVID that your government probably doesn't want you to know about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> okay. Have a good day. Okay, cheers. You too. See you. Bye. Bye this series is all about giving those minor parties a voice. So be prepared to be challenged by ideas that you may not necessarily agree with. But that's what it's all about, isn't it? Free speech and allowing people their voice. So the next party that we have coming up is Rock the Vote, Michael Avenel. And again, you know, it's all about giving people voice who don't parrot the uni party policies, national and Labour are very much um, being influenced by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. So it's good to see some parties standing up to that. So here's Michael. We are now joined by Michael Avenel. He is the leader of Rock the Vote New Zealand. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Hannah. Now, you guys are a political party. You're very new on the scene. Uh, where are you guys at in terms of your registration? You're also actually part of the Umbrella Party Freedoms New Zealand, I should add. Yeah, that's correct. So we are an unregistered party at this point. Um, we're on that journey to get registered. We're still you know, a little way off from getting the 500 uh, required members. Um, but that journey will continue on after the election. And yeah, and we're very happy to be a component party under the Freedoms NZ umbrella. Right. So what, I guess, um, does your party stand for? Because I think there was a bit of confusion initially. Were you guys initially a group that was kind of going to generically talk about different parties and have you morphed into a party yourself or what was the genesis of it? Okay, good question. So how it began was uh, a number of us sprung out of Voices for Freedom in our area and with the council elections last year, the local elections. And um, what happened was about four of our guys thought we'll stand uh, to contest in the Waitamata local board area and they went under the name Rock the Vote. Um, and what happened was they registered on the last day possible. They were complete unknowns. Uh, a, a number of us gave them some wraparound support, and we just did a campaign, and we went for it. We did pop-ups. We did flyer drops. We did debates, put billboards up, and we just went for it. And while they weren't like, ultimately successful, uh, they got between them almost 10,000 votes, uh, and we shifted the power base of the board who had always been for 30 years uh, really on quite on the extreme left with City Vision, and we moved it back to a 4-3 split in favour to CNR on the right. They've acknowledged our work to help them there. But what happened after that was that we had a meeting about two weeks afterwards with a guy called Ken Turner, who won the councillor's seat for West Auckland. The next day, his campaign manager rang me and said, look, I just want to give you some feedback. Rock the vote's awesome. You guys have got something there why don't you consider something which is to stand against Chloe Swarbrick? 
in Auckland Central in next year's general election. And we we're like, wow, we hadn't thought of that. Let's we spoke about it, let's do it, and we've gone from there. So we've always been aiming to become a political party. We didn't know it right at the very beginning, but it's just gone, uh, you know, uh, sort of morphed into that. So how does it work now that you will be having candidates standing? The fact that you're an unregistered party, but you're part of the umbrella party. Yeah. Can you clarify that? So, uh, yeah, we've looked into that. And, you know, initially it does seem a little bit complex, but we can stand. So, for example, our candidate in Auckland Central is Paul Davey, and he can stand um, as a candidate and it'll have on the ballot paper under his name, Rock the Vote New Zealand. We're just not allowed to put our Rock the Vote NZ logo there beside it. Um, but he's also on the party list. Is um, He'll be on the party list for Freedoms NZ, uh, along with a number of other candidates. And we've also got a guy called John Alcock, who ran for mayor in Auckland. And with zero campaigning, he got five and a half thousand votes. And he's going to stand for us in the Pakaranga electorate. Um, so, yeah, that's how it works. So you still keep your identity. I think I've seen an interview with uh, Sue and Hannah and they sort of explained it. Hannah Tamaki. So, yeah. So um, how many candidates have you guys got in the election? Uh, we've just got two at the moment. Uh, I'm having a meeting at five o'clock with someone else that contacted me last night that wants to stand, I think, in the North Shore electorate. So I'll be you know, sitting down with him. Uh, there's another guy uh, that we're in conversations with, not too sure how that's going to go. And then we've got an eye on two other people. But, you know, obviously time's pressing. We'll have to make some decisions soon. But officially, we've just got two right now. Oh, yeah. So so you're not standing as a candidate yourself? No, no. Uh, we've got, we're going to have it, we're having at least four people on the Freedoms NZ party list, but only two at this stage have, have we've got, as of this date, uh, standing in electorate seats to contest. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what are some of the main policies that Rock the Vote NZ stands for? Okay. So the, the number one would easily be, so, so just, you know, with the Freedoms NZ umbrella, for example, to be a component party, you just have to agree to um, their, their what they call their flagship policies and you can come on board. And the, the one that what was very easy, easy for us to do it was that what we want to end, like a lot of people in the freedom movement, is end the globalist influence in New Zealand. So our intention would be as a principle and sort of like a non-negotiable would be to get rid of the WEF the WHO and the United Nations out of New Zealand. And you know, char- our, our slogan is restoring our sovereignty, um, reclaiming New Zealand. So that's what that's what we're really strong. And that's our number one for uh, policy. Another one would be we're against uh, we're into racial harmony. So we're against uh co-governance, for example. And the other one, which is obviously very popular as well, is we want to uh, you know, the saying goes to entrench the New Zealand Bill of Rights. Uh, into supreme law and even that alone if you think about it would be a, just a, a a great victory for new zealand so that our democratic freedoms freedom of expression and everything contained in that bill of rights is protected and not violated by any future rogue governments so there's that another one would be that we're quite strong on is the therapeutics products bill is repealing that legislation or at the very minimum taking the natural health products out of that um, so, yeah, those are some of our core policies and also to have binding citizens initiated referendums. So the people of New Zealand 
it to determine our destiny. Yeah, okay. The one thing that I see an issue with uh, with those binding referenda is that when you have a population that's been fed mainstream media for so long, mm-hmm. if we were to some now, you know, say tomorrow, start putting these referenda out, that many people wouldn't necessarily understand the nuances of many of the arguments because the mainstream media is not even letting us have the debates. I mean, co-governance, for example, um, it's almost just been rammed through. The, the media is just going along with it as if it's um, done and dusted. And, of course, with Julian Batchelor's tour, that's stirred up a lot of uh, debate. But we're not even allowed to discuss it. So if, without free speech, I feel like we have a very uninformed uh, population, so to speak. Well, you've, you've got to start somewhere. And I think, you know, one way to do it is to get into Parliament to have representation. But with the co-governance, for example, if you, you know, it's been forced upon us, we haven't voted for this. So I know that there's many people very unhappy about it. So let's put it to the people and test it. Do do we want co-governance or not? And having it as a binding referendum, and we'll soon find out, you know, it's, it's, that's the way I see it. And then there'll be obviously education to go with it. It's not going to be easy, it's exactly like what you're saying, Hannah, with the mainstream media, not on our side. You know, we're against a lot, but, you know, I think we've got to start somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so you're obviously already united with um, Freedom ZNZ. If there were other um, candidates from other freedom parties that wanted to stand, say, for example, in Auckland Central, would you be open to discussing who the best candidate is and potentially accommodating other parties if if it was felt that they represented the freedom community better? Absolutely, we would be open. But when it comes to Auckland Central, we've already started our campaigning. We've getting out, We've got our billboards printed up. We're about to put those up. We've got all our flyers done. We've already started doing our pop-ups fly. So it would be hard for us to pull it because we're from Auckland Central. You know, we want to develop the party. That's why we've called it Rock the Vote New Zealand to spread beyond. Um, and anyone coming in now is unfortunately quite late in the piece. We're just over seven weeks to the election. Um, but we were open to discussions. And But at the moment, that's you know we've been a little bit disappointed that Ted Johnson, for example, for the New Conservatives, who we've had a number of conversations with, we've met with him, has now announced that he's standing in Auckland Central. And, you know, I'd like to think that we're all working together. And I know that talking to Sue Gray uh, and uh, and so forth, that there's it seems to be some sort of agreement, verbally anyway, that we won't stand candidates against each other to give everyone in the freedom movement the best possible chance to get into parliament. You know, so we're all working together in a collaborative way. Yeah, and maybe this is kind of just the start of something bigger to come in the future, because as you say, uh, with all these candidates already presumably putting their own money into the campaign, um, it's going to be quite hard for people to want to step down uh, if they've already invested so much. Um, is Rock the Vote New Zealand in any way linked to Rock the Vote in America? Not at all. Oh, yeah, so it's its own separate thing here in New Zealand. Absolutely, yeah. And... Um, what about, you know, with mainstream media and kind of cutting through to the mainstream voters, have you either got a strategy around that or have you given that some thought? I do see that um, the the Freedoms NZ wider group 
got onto the news with um, Chris Hipkins when he was at the Otara Markets. Uh, is that a strategy you guys have, or do you? I mean, do you reach out to the mainstream and try and get them to cover you? Uh, yep. So we've got a very fantastic, hardworking party secretary in Fiona, and she's been emailing out press releases to the mainstream media. They haven't taken up it up yet, though. We are booked for a, a debate in September with some of the more, you know, uh, like. Act Greens, National, and so forth, and we're trying to get into other debates. But so far, uh, the mainstream media haven't um, even acknowledged our press releases. So, and we've sent them out for Paul Davy and for John Alcock. Um, we'll just see what happens going forward there. But you know, we're you know, we our attitude is that the mainstream media are not necessarily our friends. We're quite happy to talk to alternative media and, and just go from there. Yeah, there seems to be a big. Um social media campaign for a lot of the freedom parties and from what sue was saying they are being a lot more let's say uh or let's say and they did last election so fingers crossed uh they won't be banning your facebook page or anything at the last hour <laughs> hopefully not can't rule it out yeah, now I do want to just quickly mention you did obviously say you want to pull out of the World Health Organization with news in the alternative sphere, at least over this past week, coming out that we could have another lockdown and a new variant coming out in September, October. Um, are you concerned about that, particularly maybe it, uh, um, impacting our elections? You know, that there is concern about mail-in um, ballots rather than actually having to turn up on the day and we don't even have to use IDs? Well, you know, you'd have to be concerned about it. I mean, Rock the Vote New Zealand, along with Freedoms NZ, are grassroots movements as such. We're here to speak on behalf of the people. So one thing we'd want once we got into Parliament is go back to how it was and having just, you know, you, um, the voting on election day. It's like a very community-type experience rather than this advanced voting and postal voting we've had people come and talk to us about the possibility of electoral fraud we to preserve our democracy we'd want to minimize that and if there's a, a lockdown would be horrific i don't know how many people would obey at this time uh, but you know it's hard to, to completely predict the future we just have to go with each day at a time yeah so um why don't you let people know where they can find you um and if they want to be part of your campaign how can they do that um, so our uh, our website is www.rockthevotenz.com, not .co.nz, it's .com. Um, we've got a Facebook page. If you go to the website, there's a link there that will take us uh, straight to the Facebook page. Um, that's probably the best way to do it. And, and we've got a couple of people monitoring that all the time. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Awesome. And we'd love to uh, invite your candidates on as well over the next yep. few weeks as these election specials hopefully keep rolling out if that's what people want. Um, and just before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, absolutely. I just want to obviously acknowledge this, all the work that you guys do, everyone in the freedom movement. But I just want to say that our experience so far, we took a risk going under the umbrella. It had never been done before. But Rock the Vote New Zealand, Light Outlaws and Freedoms Party, Vision NZ, Believe in Unity, and we thought, let's just try this. Let's give it a go. Let's you know, work in that spirit as such. Let's try and search to find a way. And, and it's been fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. 
Um, there's been no real issues. I mean, nothing's perfect, but we've committed to the election day and hopefully beyond. And um, any disputes, we just resolve through dialogue. But I want to stress it's a lot of fun. And for, for me personally, it's a real missing that people like Leighton Baker and Liz Gunn aren't there. And when we look at the billboards, which you've probably seen with um, Sue Gray and, uh, and Brian Tamaki on there when they have got their slogan, we stood then, we stand now. I personally, I'm sure a lot of people would think it would look so amazing if Liz Gunn was on there, Leighton Baker and whoever else the leaders representing the freedom movement. That would really be the ultimate in unity to get us all into parliament. Yeah, so. Okay, I guess the one criticism that we're hearing in regards to that is that potentially some voices or some parties might be watered down. Uh, they might feel like they aren't able to actually bring their um, policies and views to the table. What would you say to those people? Um, so all you, you know, so it's easy to get confused, but you just have to come back. We all just have to agree to the core policies of the umbrella party, Freedoms NZ. That's all you have to each. We haven't lost our identity, neither is Outdoors and Freedoms Party. And you can have your own policies outside of that. You just have to have those core ones, which if you look on their website, I haven't looked at it for a while, but because I know it's going through a bit of a reboot. But those core policies are very easy to agree to. And, and you know, I can only speak from our experience. And I know that Sue and Donna, Perkiri Phillips, and even um, Joseph Blessing from Yes Aotearoa, and, and Hannah Tamaki, all of them would just say it's just been a wonderful experience. So um, I was just going it's to say... New, it's for, this is for New Zealand. Yeah, so you you wanted to pull out all those uh, international um, big big groups. Is there any other overarching policies that, that really stood out to you that made you think that it was kind of a no-brainer to stand with them? Uh, well, there was um, one of the ones uh, is... A strong families equals a strong nation. So you know that that's you know, there's it feels like the government's trying to divide us, destroy us, smash our democracy, destroy our family units, and we have to turn that around and come back to the people of New Zealand and create these strong families. And that's why we support Brian Tamaki's Man Up program because you're probably aware he really is quite phenomenal. The amount of positive results on a very big scale, turning broken families around, and we support that. And then we grow from there and expand that light out, that, that, that light that we've all got within us out through to, to everyone in New Zealand. Yeah, and then they've also got uh, a better finance policy, uh, reducing GST, your first 250000 tax-free, uh, more money for businesses with less red tape. So more details on that coming soon. Um, and a better future, just uh, putting it into the climate change overreach they obviously support the farmers as well. Yeah, absolutely, um, the farmers all day long. Yeah. So yeah. And, a and, lot and of... that's what we say with even more urgency now when we had this announcement uh, you know, last week or the week before about BlackRock and what their plans are for New Zealand. We need to protect our farmers. We need to work absolutely. together. Yeah. We're going to lose everything. I think everything. that's great. Yeah, it's it's a it's um quite an important election. So thank you so much, yeah. Michael, and well done uh, to you for getting involved. And we wish you all the best with the upcoming campaign. Okay, thank you, guys. And just on behalf of Rock the Vote New Zealand, just want to send out as much love as we can to all New Zealanders. Thank you. Awesome. Rock the Vote are standing a candidate in Auckland Central and we'll be speaking to him very soon. Now, another man who's part of the Umbrella Party Freedoms NZ is Brian Tamaki. He joins us next.
Brian Tamaki, the co-leader of Freedoms NZ, joins us now. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you, Hannah. Nice to be here. Excellent. Now, we had Hannah on the other um, week as well, and we gave her the opportunity to make a comment about, you know, the brouhaha that kind of happened a few weeks ago. Did you want to make an op- um, and a comment about that as well? No. No. no time for that. All right. We'll just move forward. Excellent. Now, yeah. um, we brought you on because we are bringing all the leaders yeah. of the minor parties on um, just to give their view because, obviously, mainstream media is it's harder to cut through but obviously you um are getting a few stories in there which is good now please can you clarify for a lot of people out there who are still confused about what the concept is of this umbrella party which you're the co-leader of um just so that they can understand how many parties are involved and what it means yeah well quite simply here the umbrella um was asked by the people at the uh, by-election in Tauranga to get the um, small parties to all unite and the best way to do that was to bring it into the umbrella, which gives the ability for every small party to submit or give up their party vote into the umbrella, which means every party collectively joins their party vote into that one umbrella that gives us a better opportunity to not only um, get past the 5% threshold, but even do better. So that, that's the whole concept of it. It just unites all of the parties' um, party vote into one. Excellent. Now, mm. um, are you, people want to know, are you running in an electorate or are you simply going to be on the party list? No, I'm on the party list. Okay, which... so so if you get 5%, so... that means, or if you get one candidate voted in, it means you will come in on the list as well? Yeah. Okay, and is it? Can you please tell us? Is it too late for any of the other smaller parties to join if they were looking at that? Well, no, actually, because I've got an appointment tomorrow with one and another one as well. So there are two parties now that are seriously considering joining and um and joining together to unite that party vote to give them an opportunity to get across the threshold and make some use of the talent that's out there. And I've been asking all the candidates this as well. Would you accommodate, um, you know, standing down someone in an electorate if you felt like there was a freedom candidate from another party that had a stronger chance of winning? Uh, would you stand your candidate down? Yeah, that's been the agreement they've all made from the beginning, um, that the parties within the umbrella wouldn't stand against other parties in the umbrella. So um, that was the agreement. So they've pretty much stuck to that and that we would support, put our support behind the candidate in that area rather than have the same, you know, electorate contested by two um, candidates that are under the same umbrella was pointless. After all, it's about working together and uniting our strengths so we can put a laser beam in the bullseye. And that's the whole idea of why I believe we did this to offer the umbrella as a way of parties uniting together. Um, That's been a bit more difficult than I thought. Um, If we all had have united from the beginning, I think we would have been in a stronger position right now, um, particularly how this this election is panning out, that National is going to need a, a pretty good coalition partner or confidence and supply partner whatever eventuates, 
But there is now a need for a true centre-right party. Um, I believe National's gone more centre-left, and this leaves a big gap open for a party like ours. And don't forget, one-third of the population is still undecided, and most of them uh, are women, Hannah. So there you go. There's every opportunity. Well, we do know that a lot of women were, um, you know, they were somehow mesmerised by the Ardern effect. Uh, yep. Hopefully, well, I mean, they've got two men to choose from now in the main major parties. I mean, this bringing up the National Party, that's a good question about coalitional confidence and supply. What is your official position on that? Well, for, for me to speak, it would be my personal opinion, because I don't think we have talked about it. Um, I think we prefer to be in a position where we don't have to be in a coalition with National or any of them. Confidence and supply, so on every issue or policy they put up, we want the power or the ability to be able to vote that up or vote it down, whatever is, is um, acceptable to the people that we represent. And um, I think that might be the position in the end, particularly if we have a ballot box revolution and we do get more than just six seats past the 5%, hey, that could put us in a great position uh, to negotiate a, a better deal and start the process of cleaning up Parliament and getting our country back again. Yeah, it's definitely an election uh, for the minor parties to win, really, because the two major parties are hemorrhaging votes. Now, one thing that was suggested, I mean, you at the beginning weren't even going to stand, um, you know, as a, well, you're not standing as a candidate, but obviously you weren't even going to be really part of the political right. side of it. You were willing to help in the background. What changed your mind and what do you say to people that say, well, maybe if Brian wasn't there and it was a different leader, you know, what do you say to that? Well, I wasn't, though. No, that's true. Uh, all the years back when I've been involved in politics, it's always been supporting somebody else or, or a party that most lined up with our values. This time, because of the protests and the unusual um, times we're in, and we all know that we've been through a lot, um, it, it, and it's still, I wasn't going to stand. Um, but it was only when Hannah and I came back from Israel, which has been a lifelong dream to get there. Um, over there, it was Hannah who saw um, the whole uh, journey or the walk where Christ took his cross and the pain and suffering and all the jeering and the hate. And I mean, I wasn't thinking about it. I was focused on the actual last path to the crucifixion. But she was, in her words, was moved inside to consider that this man did take the hate and the railing and the whatever else, you know, that really was most of us would run from, um, it made her think, well, maybe that's what Brian should do, and, you know, regardless of what people think. It's much the opposite. And um, so she came and said to me, no, you should stand, which was kind of turnaround. Um, and at first I thought, um, hold on, I... I wasn't going to. Maybe the public will see this as quite disingenuous that I planned it or something like that. But um, we talked about it a bit more. I left it for a day or two, then I agreed that I would. And, it, and I know that was going to compound things and people, but when we got back and announced that, there was hardly anybody that brought that up and said, hey, you said, you know. They didn't, actually, and, and there were some people that were very complimentary and said, well, you should because the 
the the main uh, line that came through was, we don't need another politician at this time. We need a leader, um, a leader who is able to approach this with strength, with courage, and maybe open it up. And once it's opened up, let the talented, gifted, experienced people who want to give themselves to, to the political part of it, that's how it should go. And, you know, it's kind of right, really. Um, whether you like me or, or hate me, um, the leadership gift is there and it does lead, it gathers, it opens up. You know, um, I don't mind taking the hits as being a pioneer. And if that means that others can get through and do the business that matters, well, I don't mind. And that seems to be what's what's taking place. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. Now, getting into the main policies of the Freedoms NZ umbrella, would you like to touch on some of those? Well, some of them immediately come to mind is that, number one, we will exit uh, all the global globalists, and I'm talking about the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, and United Nations. We said that right from the beginning, that we see the interference coming from globalists and corporations and we will exit that immediately in the first uh, 180 days that we're voted in. Um, Great. Also, okay, just can I just, just before we move to the next one, just yeah. can I just ask the question on the, um, because there's potent, there is now talk of a new virus circulating and a potential pandemic and, you know, lockdowns and mask mandates all coming back um, in September, October. Uh, would what would your position be on you know vaccines and mask mandates and all that kind of thing no, here in New Zealand? My my position doesn't change. Mine's been consistent right from the beginning. I stood. Um, we made a a, a definite um, declaration about what we felt about the uh, mandates. Um, we stood for that, and we also uh, were unvaxed and never been involved in vaccination. So. That my position remains the same. It's consistent. So if they come again, you can guarantee Brian and Hannah Tamaki and probably the Destiny Church movement who did it in the first place will take a stand again and say, nah, no more of that rubbish in here. Um, yeah. we're not going to be we're not going to be forced to comply with our rights and our freedoms being smashed again. And, and I say um, what ended up being just a testing uh centre in your car park, that's gone now, is it just for clarity's sake for everybody? Yeah, it's, it's gone and the whole thing's over, it's finished and it's always been a testing station, there's never been any vaccinations that I'm aware of and that's always been my request from the beginning, no vaccinations on that site, you can do it on your other ones around the place, up the road at Takanini, but not there, there never has been and neither has Han and I ever condoned it or been involved in it. All right, and do you think you just a blanket no for the next one? Yep. Okay, all right. Now, what are your other policies that you'd like to make people aware of? Well, apart from exiting the global influence, um, New Zealand's not up for sale. That goes with that. And we're going to get back our country. And I think we've got to realise that our sovereignty or our self-autonomy is very important. We need to be having our resources available. Um, we need to be uh, basically self-determining so we're not dependent on any other country. So we'd start to um, re-energise Marsden Point and upgrade it. 
um, start using our own coal instead of importing uh, inferior coal and paying that price. Also, um, getting to use our own fuel because of the fuel that we're importing is also inferior and costing a lot. But it makes us dependent on any time in the Northern Hemisphere, these ships can be stopped. And then we're at the mercy of what happens way across the other side of the world. I don't think that's good enough. And we want to be in charge of our own food supplies. We have enough food to feed 40 million people. I cannot, well, I do understand because it's a political problem rather than a producer or a product problem. Because we have that amount of food to feed 40 million, we have 166,000 children that cannot be fed properly every day means it's not that problem, it's a problem from politics. So those things that are there, if you want to entrench the New Zealand Bill of Rights into supreme law status so that we would never be in the predicament we were in the last three, four years, having our Bill of Rights and our freedoms uh, run over roughshod by the judicial system, leaving us bare and naked and not being able to have any type of protection uh, for the citizens of this country because they took them away. Now, what about co-governance? Have you got a position on that? Absolutely. Um, no co-governance. Co-governance is not a part of the deal because I believe we are one people. Essentially, we have one law, one flag, and we need to, well, one faith for that matter as well. And we need to be all together uh, with that. That comes, the, the separation has come because I believe a government has made a climate for that to happen. And that's the Labour government with Jacinda Ardern. But it started with um, national government and John Key and Peter Sharples from the Māori Party when they knew that they had a deal up with Hea Pūpua that they would use that to give leverage for Māori to begin to take a 50% ownership and a governing authority of this country and its resources. So that's a no. But at the same time, we've had to respect the fact that Māori do hold a place that's special and that we need to enjoy each other's gifts and talents and potential, and we're better together. That's the whole thing, than we are apart. Great. Now, just moving through to the question about how are you, do you have a strategy around reaching out to mainstream New Zealanders and people that may not have heard your message before? And, I mean, you are getting some mainstream media coverage, but, ha yeah, have you got a strategy? Probably will be today, too. Tonight on 6 o'clock news, we're there again. <laughs> My man, Carl Wukalaka, he has done it again. He leaned across the fence at a, a press conference with our friend, the other Chris, Chris Luxon. And um, it's hilarious. Have you seen it, Heather? No, I haven't. I haven't oh, checked that out. Yeah, it's on News Hub. It's on Hero. It'll... Yeah, he's done it again. He did it to Chris Hipkins at the Otara Market. Somehow we all looked at this and it's gone. I think it's going to go pretty much viral locally anyway, but it's so funny. He leans over the fence and away he goes. He challenges this guy that Otara is a part of your electorate too, Mr. Luxon. Why don't you visit there? <laughs> Mr. Luxon said, can we have a private talk? And he said, no, no private talks. You need to be open. And he says, you said you're a Christian, but you won't touch the abortion, the extreme abortion law. And Mr. Luxon said, we'll talk privately after. And he says, no. <laughs> and he carries on. And it's, 
he gets into the whole thing about, um, you know, treating, you're going to be the next government, he said. You're going to be the next prime minister. So we want to hold you accountable now. So not afterwards where you won't take any notice of me. And it's quite good. It's, so it's going off. So anyway. Well, that's what I it's mean, about. It is about holding our leaders accountable. And, um, yeah. you know, it's same on our side, on the freedom side. You know, all our freedom leaders will be held accountable as well. And we'll, you know, be asking the hard questions there as well. Um, so good job on them. Is there anything else you want to add or where can people find you if they want to be part of your campaign? Well, I didn't even have a chance to say about the family policies, our law and order policies of beauty and the farming policy. They're all there and they, they can access that online on the website. No, I don't, Hannah. Just thank you for the opportunity. And now you're a mum with a little baby storm. That's something. <laughs> yes, and I'm definitely um, a mother and a breastfeeder. I'm um, not, you know, a birthing parent and not a chest feeder. Just to make that really clear for everybody right. out there. <laughs> and you'll be making, you'll be wanting to make sure that the education system is going to be healthy for them or your homeschool them. That's right. Well, as if, if the education's anything like it is now, Brian, he will not be going to school. Just to make that's, that clear. That's it. Oh, a lot of them are leaving to go to Australia this morning. I was doing a live here, I talked about the violence that's in the school grounds and um, and bus stops and now they've got a, it's out of hand and they can't control it. So police are patrolling the school grounds, some of them three times a day now because, and they call it a trend, it's, it's really not. It's a hangover from the days of the lockdowns and all these young kids now between the ages of about 11 to 17. So they know that, they can get away with blue murder because they're under 18 and the police yeah. hands are tight. That's so a real worry. Be they're beating kids. Uh, I mean, it's random acts of violence. It's quite, it's quite bad. It's very concerning. And, you know, we will need to get you back on uh, as the campaign progresses yep. because there's so much to talk about. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. And no doubt people can go and find you um, on Facebook, um, Freedoms NZ, um, and, you know, even Vision New Zealand with Hannah or um, yep. Freedoms and Outdoors Party with yep. Sue Gray and all the rest of them. So thank you so much, Brian, and we wish you all the best for the rest of the campaign. My pleasure. Thank you, Hannah. Bye-bye. Cool. Cheers. And you saw in that interview there how the Freedoms NZ candidate was also at the Luxon um, media conference there, quite funny. And they've obviously made this part of their campaign strategy because over the weekend they were outside the launch of the Labour Party campaign. And then as we go to recording this, we get information that they are also outside the National Party campaign launch today. So getting out there, getting their voices heard and taking the message that a lot of people are feeling out there in middle New Zealand right to the Uni Party. So they cannot ignore us Um when you've got these messages that counter the narrative right outside their doorstep. Now, this is a battle of narratives, what's going on here. And you may or may not already know, but there is a broadcasting allocation from um, the taxpayer fund, essentially. Uh, it's money that's available for all political parties who are registered and who have applied by the 1st of March. Uh, even at that point, if they're unregistered, they just have to qualify by the 8th of September. But they do get a percentage um, of, well, they get some money. Uh, Labour, for example, gets $1.2 million uh, as the presumably the incumbent party. National, they get slightly less, uh, $1.03 million. 
And then as you go down the list, you'll see, um, you know, ACT, the Greens, the Māori Party, they all get a, um, some money. Nas- uh, New Zealand First gets 165000 uh, Democracy NZ being a new party gets 66000 um, well, I think that's just because they're a minor party, but they are they are new, so they still get that. And then there was the debacle with Freedoms NZ as a umbrella party. How much would they get? Sue Gray and um, those other parties did take them to court, and the result of that was that no, all the component parties would not get sixty six thousand independently, but uh, collectively as an umbrella party. They will now get ninety nine thousand. Oh, sorry, ninety thousand as opposed to sixty six thousand. Um, for the for all of them. So a small win there, I guess you could say thirty thousand. Um, won't go far on mainstream media, but hey, maybe if you want to, you know, do something with Counterspin, we could have a chat. Um, and we will be open and transparent about any of that kind of thing if we do get any, um, broadcasting allocated funds. Uh, unlike mainstream, who it was recently exposed that they are getting payments by the government to put in climate change content, not as an ad, not as you know a political broadcast, but literally in news and current affairs coverage, uh, the mainstream media is being paid to present new information. So, and it's not it's not made clear to you as the audience, and you do deserve to know these things. So. That is very interesting. So, with all of that said, let's move to our final guest. And that is, of course, Leighton Baker from the Leighton Baker Party. Leighton Baker, leader of the Leighton Baker Party, welcome to the show. Oh, g'day, Hannah. Thank you so much for having us on. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Now, you have been in politics for a long time. You are the former leader of the New Conservative Party. What made you branch out and start your own party this time around? Um, I actually got sacked from the New Conservatives after the last election. Uh, first time I've been um, dismissed, actually, and saved me a fortune, which was quite nice. And But at the beginning of this year, I was sitting in my office doing my GST returns, and someone rang up and said, hey, look, a poll's come out, and it has you down as um, 3.9% want you as Prime Minister, which... Uh, it was very flattering, of course, but uh, I wasn't in a party. So I thought, well, we'll have to stand as an election simply because that many people want us to. And when it came to a party name, um, it came down to the fact that what else did we have? We, had, we haven't got a whole lot of money. Um, and so we had to use what was in our hand, which was the name. So we've used the name for brand recognition, and that's why we kicked it off. But I've been in politics for a while sit around the topic of democracy because we saw quite some time ago that we were losing our democracy. Instead, we seem to have elected dictators and every three years we seem to get a new one, but it doesn't give us our freedom and we're losing more and more all the time. Okay, before we get into your specific party policies, a question that um, I've been asking all the leaders is, would you consider actually joining potentially the umbrella party or you know unifying somehow to make a united front forward yeah look we do get asked that a lot and never say never for me at the moment it's almost like if you put all the people that are challenging the government on their uh, lack of freedom or lack of democracy in one boat it's only one iceberg or one torpedo and that whole boat's blown to bits and you've got no representation I believe there's actually so many people out there in New Zealand that are tired of the parties that we have in government at the moment that there's plenty of room for plenty of parties. 
But either way, having a whole lot of different groups all coming at the government gives a lot more focus and a lot more voice uh, to the topics that we're talking about, which is, you know, lack of democracy, lack of freedom, breach of the human rights, breach of our Bill of Rights, um, overseas interests taking control of New Zealand, et cetera, et cetera. So having a whole lot of voices saying that from different directions, I believe, is, is a good idea at this stage. And um, would you potentially work with other parties, like on the freedom side, uh, and accommodate each other to stand down your candidates if, you know, you felt like there was someone else stronger from another party represented and vice versa? Absolutely. Our whole mandate in regards to politics is it's not meant to be about ruling, it's meant to be about serving. The whole thing is meant to be about the government providing a safe place for people to reach their full potential. And so, you know, if there's better people... I think most of the parties would struggle to find someone better than Wendy Gillespie, who we've got standing of our plenty. Uh, she's an absolute legend. We've got so many different skills that would be just perfect for contesting in Parliament. So people like that, I, I believe, should really be in there. Um, you know, I, I'm a builder by trade, so I'm easily replaced. But people like Wendy Gillespie would be amazing, and I'd love to see her in there. So how many candidates are you actually standing the selection? At, at this moment, at the moment, there's... We're only standing two, which is uh, Wendy and myself. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, which electorate are you in again? I'm in the Waimakariri, so that's just outside of Crosshurst, so not far from you. Um, but, yeah, just north of Crosshurst. Excellent. Now, um, okay, one other thing, actually, that we, we might as well try and clarify, because this has been um, going around. It's this 5% thing. You know, people are trying to say that if you vote for a minor party, it's a wasted vote because the Electoral Commission will then reallocate that vote to the parties that do meet the threshold either through the 5% or by getting an electorate seat. Now, from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, what it actually is is if the party doesn't meet the 5% threshold and they don't get an electorate seat, their votes are simply discarded and it's the 120 parliament seats that are then divided up into the parties that actually did meet the threshold. How do you understand it? Yeah, that's right. So the parties that meet the threshold, that's taken as being 100%. So it's almost like a put the refresh button. They're taken as 100% and you divide the 120 MPs up amongst that 100%. So it's reasonably simple, yeah. And so what's your answer to people when they say uh, voting for a minor party is just a wasted vote? Um, I think if you vote for someone you don't trust, you wasted your vote. Because even if you get what you voted for, you didn't get what you wanted. And that's what we've seen in the last election. Uh, we've got a whole lot of people that strategically voted, they say, and look what they got. And they're so gutted by it that they're deserting it in folds. Why is that? Because they didn't vote for what they trusted. They didn't vote for what they thought was real or what they thought was genuine. They didn't vote for the people they truly believed in. Uh, they got sucked into voting in a strategic way and it bit them. And so really the only wasted vote is, one, if you don't vote, because if you don't vote, you supported the people that won. And two, if you vote for anyone you don't trust, because then you've empowered people you don't trust have authority over you and to me that's just crazy yeah i tend to agree people are trying to say oh you know vote strategically don't vote you know out of emotion but i think that voting strategically like you say for a party that you don't necessarily believe in that doesn't represent your values and your principles is actually a fear-based vote because you're simply trying to vote for that one to stop the other ones getting in so yeah i i tend to agree with you on that point thanks for clarifying that um, become a self-fulfilling is- prophecy don't you that's right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the minor parties, like even ACT, the Greens, they all started, they didn't always necessarily reach the 
5% threshold or even get an electric seat. So they all started as very minor parties and look where they are now. So, you know, parties like yourself or any of the other uh, freedom parties, you know, actually do have a real shot at this. Yeah, and, and if you look at the last election, I think 18% never voted, 7% voted for a party that didn't get in. So there's 25% of the votes. That's five minor parties under 5%. I mean, th- there's plenty there. And then this year round, like, we're hearing it on mainstream media where people are going, man, I don't know who to vote for. I, I, I definitely don't want Labour in. I don't trust the Nats. I don't know who to vote for. This, that's right across the board in New Zealand. So the reality is if everyone voted for people they trust, we'd see a whole lot more parties in Parliament. That would uh, disseminate the power in Parliament. That would give us a better democracy. That would mean that all the ideas that are put forward in Parliament would be contested rather than what we see at the moment where the government that's on the way out, it is going to be booted out any day now, are ramming through policies under urgency. That's got nothing to do with democracy. That's just rampant ideology being rammed down our throats. And that that stops when they have to um, negotiate and discuss and debate with other parties before they can put policy through. Yeah, and the media is saying this is an election for the minor parties to win because, like you say, the... Uh, Labour and Nats, they're just hemorrhaging votes and they're not switching over to the other side. They're actually just deserting both the, the main parties. So um, how are you finding cut through with the mainstream media? Obviously, you you know, you know did well in that preferred prime minister poll. I, I mean, are you getting much um, traction there? And how are you actually reaching those mainstream people that may not have heard your message before? Uh, we're getting no cut through in the mainstream media at all, zero. Uh, we've gone for some big digital billboards, and the messaging has been very, very, very simple. Um, on the really big ones we put in the main centres, it just says they lied. And uh, that's really just getting people to question, oh, what do they lie about? And there's just so many answers to that question. So uh, we're really just trying to get people to ask questions themselves and think a little bit harder about what's really going on in Parliament. And so that's the challenge to put out there. And then it's the conversations, it's the one-on-one conversations with people or groups about what is going on and what they can do to make a change. Yeah, that mainstream media, they are really, they've really got a lot of um, answering to do, quite frankly. Now, what are some of the main policies that you want people to know about your party? Look, the idea behind our party, we don't, I didn't want to start a party. I actually wanted just to stand as an independent and have other people stand as independents around New Zealand and then us all, because if we stand as an independent, we're actually not beholden to a party. At the moment, it's party politics. So if you're on a party list, then your wages, your income is determined by the party leader how far up the list you are, whether you've actually got a job. Whereas if you are just an independent, it's just you and you're you're putting through what the people around you, your constituents want you to say. So the idea was to have independence and every electorate and then come together under an umbrella for the party vote. You can't do that in New Zealand. Uh, they would all have to be parties, which is a heck of a lot of hard work. So that's why we formed the party. The idea behind the Labour Baker Party is not to actually build a whole lot of policy ourselves because our idea is to serve the people. So I believe policy should come from the people. So good law, it should be necessary, right? We shouldn't be passing laws we don't need. So good law should be necessary. It should be really easy to understand. It should be easy to implement. It should be easy to enforce. And it should achieve its desired results. So for that, you actually want the people involved to talk about it, debate, discuss it to refine it before it comes to law. So uh, for us, we've got guiding principles that any person at the party um, adhere to because policy should be debated vigorously. We shouldn't be coming up 
and just ad hoc throwing policy out there that we haven't really gone into a great depth. So it's not about throwing a whole lot of policy. It's about having a set amount of principles that all policy goes through uh, as gates, I suppose you might say. But, but to me, it's finding out what the people really want and what they think about things is critical if we're going to get our democracy and our freedom back. Yeah, and you were um, obviously part of the movement there in Wellington, you know, and you've been talking to people a lot for the last few years. What are the main concerns, you know, everyday Kiwis have got right now? Depends which everyday Kiwi you speak to, really. I guess a lot of them are saying, man, what direction is our country going in? Because it seems to be going the wrong way. So when I talk to people there in the business sector, uh, it's just the controls and the regulation and the amount of time they spend filling out forms and bookkeeping. Uh, when you speak to your mum and dad investors, it's the lack of um, ownership or control they have over their own properties. So they're concerned about that, and that's why we see rental houses drying up. Uh, when we speak to renters, et cetera, it's just, it is the lack of opportunity or the lack of renting places to find. And then there's the whole cost of living crisis. But what, what it comes down to is people are going, the, the government is pushing us in the wrong direction. They're wasting way too much money. They're creating a massive bureaucracy and they're destroying the culture of New Zealand. So to change that, you have to disempower the government. Uh, central government has to have less responsibility and that needs to go out into the regions because that allows people in their region to decide what goes on in their region, to form the flavour of their region. Um, and it also means there's less chance for corruption because when all too much power is invested in one person, they can be manipulated or controlled or deceived in some way or other easily, and that affects the whole country. Whereas if you disseminate the um, power right throughout the country, then you lower the risk of that, and you give more opportunity for great Kiwis to have a say in what their communities look like. Yeah, and I can't... Um finish this interview without bringing up the World Health Organization because I mean you're talking about grassroots you know Kiwis having a say and that tends to be where the freedom movement is you know they're all kind of saying the same thing and yet at the same time we've got the government actually doesn't matter if they're labor or national being influenced by these offshore um groups like you know the United Nations World Economic Forum World Health Organization even to a degree you know the American, um, government over there, what would your position be on the World Health Organization say, you know, and they bring in, if you know, if there is another pandemic, pandemic next month and the World Health Organization starts dictating to us what we should and shouldn't be doing, what would you do if you were in parliament, if you were in power? Oh, look, we've been really clear that New Zealand's law shouldn't be dictated to by overseas interests. Uh, my concern with the World Health World- organisations, they're going away from being an advisory group to being a, a law forming group and then an enforcement group and that changes uh, dramatically who they are and the power they have so there's no way that any international group should have authority over New Zealand. Um, New Zealand followed the same protocols and practices as just about every other country in the world in regards to COVID and it was an abject failure. Uh, we've seen so many people hurt, so many people harmed that didn't work. And, and for them to say, oh, we're so good at it, we're going to do it again, is, is naive, bizarre. And, and there's got to be more going on for the government to sign up to that because it just seems totally illogical that you'd give authority to any other group over your country. And, and they're obviously not going to the people over it, are they? Um, they're not going to the people in New Zealand saying, hey, this is what we're doing, what do you think about it? There's none of that. It's just boom, boom, we'll ram it through. 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. There's no debate. Uh, the media aren't talking about it. Um, even the you know regulation changes to the international health regulations uh, and the plan- pandemic preparedness treaty. You know these things are all going on behind closed doors, and you know people who discuss them get labelled conspiracy theorists. But it's definitely all happening. And I mean, do you think we can ever hold anybody accountable for what's happened over the last three years? We'll struggle to find hold people accountable because they'll either do the bolt or their friends will actually cover for them. Um, I don't think the focus, I don't mind holding people accountable, but I don't think that wants to be our focus. Our focus has got to be how we get out from under the clutches of these groups and disempower them. How, how we actually get our freedoms back, you know, um, so that we can actually enjoy this beautiful country because this is an amazing country. And what we need to focus on is, one, empowering people to, to be the best they can be. So whether that's um, teachers teaching or nurses nursing, our farmers farming, whether it's young people actually having uh, more scope or, or options for them in regards to trade training. or So it's just allowing people to reach their full fruition rather than at the moment, which is all control. But when we were in Wellington last year, the thing that got me was just what an amazing sensation there was being on site. And it was because people were just working to their strengths. They weren't being told what to do. They were just being encouraged to get involved in whatever they could and do their best. And, man, what a difference it made. It was releasing. It was freeing. We saw people excel. uh, And we saw thousands of people clothed, uh, sheltered, fed. It was truly incredible. And that's the sort of society we want. Not one that's controlled from the top down, but one that provides an environment where people can flourish. And I guess that's our vision. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. How can people uh, get involved in your campaign and follow along if they'd like to? Look, they can jump on the website, ladenbakerparty.co.nz. They can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, all ladenbakerpartynz. They'll find us in any of those. And just get involved. Look, the, the big difference we've got with our web, if they go right to the very bottom of the front page and it says join in, they can join in and the back end of it is really an ideas library. It's a place where they can share their expertise or their ideas on a range of different subjects because, like I said before, the wisdom of New Zealand is the solution to our issues and that's a place they can go and share what they know or understand on whatever topic it is. And it's not a closed forum, so we want anyone can jump on there and get those ideas, but it's about people being able to share their wisdom with the rest of us. So I'd encourage people to do that if they want to. Um, jump on the Laden Baker Party uh, in .co.nz and then go to the bottom of it and, and get into that um, ideas library. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll get to catch up with you as the campaign progresses and maybe uh, Wendy wants to come on as well. Oh, yeah, you'd really enjoy, Wendy. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, going to the effort to put these on. Well done, you. I hope it goes really well for you, and uh, enjoy that wee baby. Cheers. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya. And just a further comment about the confusion that's happening out there in regards to whether you vote for a minor party and they don't make the threshold. Uh, People are saying it's a wasted vote. Now, That's, of course, a matter for debate. It's certainly not a vote that is going to then be reallocated to another party. As we kind of touched on, it's the 120 seats that are then um, um, re-divvied up to the parties that actually won uh, with the proportion going to that little extra bit that would have gone to the minor parties that didn't make it then gets divvied up with all the other parties. But it's not a wasted vote if you're voting for a party that 
you believe has the values and principles that you stand for and how can that party ever reach the threshold if you don't vote for them so i think there's a bit of scaremongering going on out there trying to get you to freak out that somehow your vote's not going to count um it does count and just stick to your guns i mean would you rather vote for a party that you actually believe in and they don't get in or would you rather half-heartedly vote for a party that you don't believe in and they do get in and then they go against everything that they said they were going to stand for so i know i've done that in the past and it's not a good feeling so it's up to you guys out there to make the choice of who you want to vote for and to make sure that at least the voting process is fair and honest we are now joined by tracy livingston from the voter integrity um sorry the election integrity project and she's going to tell you all about how you can get involved Tracy Livingston joins us now. She is from the Election Integrity Project, and that is a group that has spawned out of um, questions around last election and wanting to keep the New Zealand vote count uh, honest here in New Zealand, so trying to get scrutineers and all the different uh, electorates. So welcome, Tracy. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Yeah, this so, is a really important topic. So maybe could you just start with you know the genesis of this project and what it's all about? Yeah. So what happened? So I was involved in the twenty twenty elections, and I was um, running with the Outdoors Party and was involved on the board as well. And I've I've always been very um, oh very trusting actually in in our system because I've you know just been watching it play out for years and years, and the elections always kind of, um, what's the word, um, it looked like it was all kosher. and But the last one was just so weird. And um, a few people said little things, and I thought, well, that's odd. You know, like they even one guy had predicted, he said, if I was going to rig an election, I don't even like to use that word, if I was going to rig an election, this is how I would, this is the numbers I would go for. And what we saw was that was exactly the numbers they got. And that he, he predicted that six months out. And so I was like, oh, that's very odd. And so I started looking around the interweb and checking to see who else had concerns or issues and um, connected with quite a few people who'd been looking at things behind the scenes and were going, well, that was a weird election result. And, you know, we've never had an election like this before. And... Then, so just before you carry on, what was weird about it for you? Was it it was such a high labour vote, especially in the South oh, Island, that stood out for so a lot of people? High, yeah, so high, and in, yeah, in those electorate in, in those electorates that had always been national, you know, always, 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 and, and vote, you know, farmers they don't swing; <laughs> they're pretty. They know what they they know who they're voting for, um, and even people saying, "Oh, you know, our oh, labour." You know, they said, oh, don't, don't vote for the Greens or something, you know, vote for Labour to keep the Greens out. I'm like, that's, there's no logic in that. Farmers, are, again, they're logical people. Um, it was just, it was so high. And, the, and that particular guy who said, this is what the numbers will be. And so it started off, um, because we had such early voting. So what's happened over the years is that, that we've extended this early voting thing because um, really it was just you voted on the day and that was it. So this early voting gives um, the political parties, let's say, a lot of um, a pretty clear idea of how things are going. So 
um, and they, they will, they're even checking every day as to see who's voted and they'll check. They're not counting. You don't count the vote until um, election day. So you don't know what the votes are, but you know, there's polling and there's all sorts of things. So they've got a fair idea of what's happening. And, and they, I think that they, it might suit them to have a certain result. And it's easier to create that with early voting. We've lost, because scrutineering is a really time-honoured profession. <laughs> You're not profession volunteer. Um, and so it, it's become, with the early voting, it's, we've kind of lost it. And people have lost interest in politics as well. So scrutineering used to be a thing that we all did, you know, if we were interested in an election, you know, fairness and honesty. Um, there was always scrutiny in the in the voting room, but of course now because you've got the early vote, you can't dedicate two weeks of your life to sit in in a, in a polling booth. And so I think things aren't as observed as they used to be. Put it that way. But I didn't. I don't. The, the results just didn't stack up, and a lot of people actually agreed with me. Um, but but I think what really got me going was um, there was people who said I had I had hundreds of people say they voted for me hundreds and yet when the results came out you know it was only you know three hundred or two hundred whatever it was and I was like that was weird and Sue Gray for example and Nelson she is so loved and so well known there and she got something like six hundred votes and I was like well that's not even possible <laughs> it's didn't make any sense to me. So I, what I did was I put in an OIA into the um, Electoral Commission to for the ballot or the vote count for uh, four different electorates. The ones that people had said, oh, you know, gosh, I only got 200 votes, but hundreds of people said they voted for me. So I then it turns out that what happens after the after the vote is counted and all of that, it goes to the clerk of the house, and what happens with the clerk of the house is they're not um they're immune to oias so you can't oia the clerk of the house so why would you put the electoral uh, it's in the electoral act essentially why would you put ballot those papers behind someone that you cannot do an oia on so then we sent it to the ombudsman and because uh the vote count is destroyed six months after an election and in theory, when it was with the ombudsman, they should have held off the destruction of the ballot because it was still under review. But they didn't. They just destroyed the destroyed the vote count. And I thought, well, same thing. You know, like that's unreasonable. You know, we're we're checking and to see what was going on for sure, so that we could have, like I said earlier, that the the electoral commission one of their jobs is to maintain um, trust in the system. So they weren't fulfilling that role at all. They were not maintaining trust in the system. So even hiding it behind the clerk of the house, I call it hiding it, but you know what I mean, um, you can't, that's not maintaining trust and integrity with the voters. So maybe you could just do a little quick um outline as well of how, what happens to the votes what is the process from voter actually standing in the booth ticking it to getting to the clerk of the house oh. yeah, um just so if people do want to be part of this process they know kind of what what they're getting into 
Okay. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about so the scrutineer. So you know, you you. Oh, it's actually it's a long and involved process. So you know, you go in, your name's crossed off the list. Um, you do your vote. You then don't need gets, voter ID at this point, by the way, either. I don't think no, you don't. I mean, it is easier if you go in with your little voting enrolled to vote card, and that makes it easier for them to find you and all the rest of it. But the other um, thing with those cards is some people in the last election actually had them sent out to two or three different addresses. So anybody could have just used their card and gone in and voted. Yeah, I don't know enough about that, Hannah. Sorry. I, oh, that's I true. That someone actually told us that and showed us. They sent us photos at the two different addresses. Yeah, so that's just a point to look out for. There's some things that we just can't have control over. So I've always been one of those people that I worry about the things I do have control over and I don't worry about the things I don't have control over. So um, as I said, uh, I wrote a, a, a report to the Justice Committee on what we saw in that 2020 election. And and my thing is, I'm like, how you don't need to mess with numbers to rig an election. So the election was already rigged from the get-go, and that's rigged by... Uh, Labor and National Act getting uh, incredible electoral funding for advertising. And that's the only money you can use for advertising. So they get over a million dollars each to advertise on TV, radio, all the rest of it. And minor parties get 55000 And that's the only money you can use on TV, radio, and social media. So you compare a million to 55000 and so you've already... Know, rig the boat essentially. Um, there was lots of things where if you were a minor party, you were not even your the name of your party was not even included in certain polls. And so, if if someone rings up and says, "Who are you voting for this year?" and you're like, "Oh, I'm voting for Top," or "I'm voting for Outlaws Party," or "I'm voting for whatever," they're like, "Oh no, you that's not an option." You're like, well, "That's weird," because they're a registered political party, so how could it not be an option? What you need to know is that you will only get invited to a TV debate if you're polling three percent or above. So if you if your voice if your name isn't even mentioned in the poll, um, you will not get invited to um, television debate. Debate. No one ever hears about you. So <clears throat> so one poll I, I remember reading it was fourteen percent uh, was undecided or wouldn't say, and I'm like. 14% is a lot. So that might be those people who said, I'm voting for top, I'm voting for the outdoors party, were hidden behind that 14%, if that makes sense. So um, there, there was websites, you know, and they've got, you know, these are Labour and National and, and NZ First, po you know, um, policies, but they wouldn't put uh, other parties, the minor parties, on there. So if you were just looking to who to vote for, yeah, they weren't there. So, you know, I just think there's lots of, yeah, there's lots of ways to rig an election and numbers is just, the numbers at the end is just a, is one possibility. Um, um, so I talked a lot to Bruce um, Krakum, Krakum and he, his concern was with the EMS, which is the um, Electoral Commission's electronic um, system. So the vote uh, numbers get entered into that and there's no way of going back and checking the numbers that, that come out with the numbers that went in. 
So it's, I have this saying, um, chickens go in and pies come out. <laughs> so it's like, well, it looks like a pie. You know, what happened to the chicken? So um, that's what we that's what we're hoping to do in this election is check the chickens essentially as they go in and to make sure that the pies that come out are the same as the chickens that went in. Um, which is just my silly. Not an easy feat at all by any stretch. So um how many people do you actually need and you know, how do they get involved? So the idea with scrutineering is that we need one person at every single voting booth in New Zealand, across New Zealand. So I did the maths. That's um, more than two, more than two thousand, and less than two and a half thousand. <clears throat> so um, exactly two hundred, two thousand two hundred and twenty. Uh, you know, but I'd say more or less. And the idea then is that it's just just on election day. Um, people go in just before the election closes, before polling closes. Um, and they're there for the count, and then they collect the vote count sheets or the certificate of count, they're called, um, and then report back probably to, um, to, sorry, to the Election Integrity Project, and then we'll report it from there. And so we would love to, if we can, basically report in real time the same way um, the TV will be reporting in real time. So... It becomes not just their figures, but all our figures, which is really what it should be. They're, they're our figures, and we need to be able to maintain the integrity of that. So there's two parts. There's three moving parts, essentially. One is um, the vote count scrutineers who are there at each voting booth. They collect that um, data, send it back to us um, at the close, uh, the end of the count. The other is what we call it, the early vote count starts about two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So uh, all the ballots come in from all over the electorate and they all get processed there. And that's quite that's quite a major feat. Like it's huge being there and watching it all happen. And, and it's amazing because it's they're, they're so fast and they're so onto it. And, and then, so for every voting booth, so let's say there's 30 uh, voting places, there'll be 30 vote counts, um, certificates of count. And so then the scrutineer's job is to get a verifiable copy of that. So they get signed off by the returning officer and the justice of the peace. And so we've got, just got to do a little bit of figuring out how we get that because you're not allowed to photograph in the um, vote, in the, the, the management, voting management place. So we have to figure out that. But I think what we'd like to see is the ability to get a verifiable copy of all of those and then, of course, report back to, to our um, election integrity project uh, with that data. So that comes out, that only ever comes out at the close of polling at 7 o'clock, um, 7, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, just depending on how big the vote is. And then the next day is what they call the official count. So they go through all of that again, all of the votes, they recount everything. And it's very precise. If you're one or two vote papers out, you start again. Like they have to start again and make sure they've got every single vote counted. And they know exactly the number because, they, you know, when you go in and you, you they pull off a sheet, they know exactly the number of sheets that that were created. So it can't be different to that. So that's, you know, very precise. So if someone stuffs up, they start again and do it all over. Um, that's also when you're looking for double up. 
So if there's people have voted twice, um, you're looking, you're crossing names off and making sure that um, no one's voted twice, you know, any of that stuff happens. Um, it's also when they do something, when they really uh, look for the informal votes, so an informal vote would be where they actually can't tell who you want, who are you voting for. You might have put who ticks, you know, for a candidate, for example, and they go, mm, it's no good, it's not going to work. So that's when you put aside the informal votes that you can't actually tell. And that's what we've seen over the years, and actually not just in the 2020 election, because I've talked to lots of candidates, and they said, I lost 100 votes to an informal vote count. I'm like, that's impossible. Like, not there won't be a hundred people who who completely stuffed up their ballot. Um, so that's the other thing that we'll really be looking out for is um, losing informal votes um, and how and why, and uh, making sure that that operates properly. But what we're really looking for for scrutineers is really a four or five hour um, volunteer time frame. It's really simple. Um, you have to be able to stand your ground, obviously. If um, sorry, that's the cat, um, you need to be able to stand your ground. If you go, hang on, I really need a copy of that. Like that's my right as a scrutineer to get that copy. Um, but we're going to try and put all the things in place so it's really easy for people to do that job. And we're going to train people up so they know exactly how to be a scrutineer because there's certain rules. You absolutely, you know, once you're in, you can't go out or you can go out but you just can't get back in again um so one girl who, when we were doing the taronga by-election she needed to pee and went out and they wouldn't let her back in again because they didn't have a toilet in that particular voting place oh, and no. so you know simple stuff like oh yeah okay make sure you have a pee before you go so you know there's, there's things that you don't necessarily think about and unless someone says oh make sure um uh so that's one role, and we need, like I said, you know, two thousand at least two thousand people for that. So we're going to need lots of volunteers. Um, there's another role which is the early count, the early vote counts, and that's really a whole day commitment. And but it's actually really exciting. Like I found it so exciting watching the vote being counted, and you learn a lot. You learn about the process, and I think if nothing else, people need to be involved. I think you know if you're going to vote, you might as well be part of part of it. Um, and then there's, of course, the official count, which is the Sunday following, and that's the whole day too, and that's just watching that process. Um, and that's less, um, it's less of a problem in that because the vote's already been counted and, you know, results more or less out there, um, there's not quite the same amount of secrecy. Um, but you do, you know, you have to do things like you're not involved in the count at all. Like you, you can't, you know, interfere with the process at all. It's very, um, it's quite rigid. And you know, so, so you is this where they, the electoral commission actually has paid jobs available for yeah. those ones? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and we, I, you know, I've known people who've been involved in the elections uh, in in counting, and um, and they've really enjoyed that process too. You know, being involved in the election and watching it play out and. Um, so it has been, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's a good either. And so either with the scrutineers that yep. you need now, they need to basically. It's almost like they need to be sponsored by a a candidate, yeah, uh, a, a electoral party, candidate yeah. or a party. So can you just yeah. explain that as well? So the idea is that you need to get 
your form filled in. So it's a scrutineering form and it's an electoral commission form and I'll be sending out. You can download an electoral um, scrutineer's handbook and that's got the form in there and you sign it and a, can a local candidate signs it and that's your ticket into your voting booth to say, yep, I'm an official scrutineer. Excellent. So this sounds like a project that actually um, all the minor freedom parties ought to be supporting because it's um, going to serve them, you know, it serves all of us, doesn't it? It's, it's not like it's a political thing. It's just, like you say, wanting integrity, fairness and honesty in the selection. Um, so hopefully lots of different groups are going to support this project because I think it's vital. Yeah, I agree, Hannah, and that's why, like, it's been really mulling around in my head for the last three years of how how we manage this, and that was the that was the best thing we could come up with was just to to do it that way. Bruce is behind the scenes doing OIAs and and making uh, and just checking up on processes and making sure that the process that the EC uses is actually the same that's in the Act, um, that they're not that their process isn't actually antithetical to the Act that they actually follow the same uh, pathways. Um, whereas I'm kind of more um, trying to get get the numbers, recruit enough numbers to do this well and do it properly. So what do you suggest to people who uh, maybe are part of a Freedom Minor Party or they're part of a Freedom Group and they haven't even uh, seen anything put out by their group? What would you suggest they do to, to get them on board with this project? Yeah, so people can email me. So I'm just going to use my personal email, which is putting it out there. Um, uh, uh, shall I, just, I can say it now. Trace, so my name's yep. Tracy, yeah. Noe, Tracy at Livingston, Noe, Kiwi. So that's Tracy at Livingston, Kiwi. We'll put it on um, Counterspin somewhere as well. So you can contact me directly. And what I will do is put you in your, put you into an electorate. So what we've, we've got layers essentially of this project and one is the uh, sort of like a management team. So there'll be one or two people just managing each electorate so that you've got one person who's got all the names of all the voting places and is then going to match um, each person to each voting place. So we'll need 30, 32 maybe in each electorate. So the team leader will have those. I'm trying to separate it out because I don't want 2,000 emails, obviously. <laughs> so um, I'm going to try and separate it out. So we'll have 70, there's 72 electorates. So we'll have 72 team leaders and those 30 to 35 um, people under them will be then allocated to a voting place. And that way we'll be able to cover them all. And then you've got those 72 team leaders who that's actually quite a, a bigger role than just the, that four or five hours on the Saturday. And so they're the people who I'm really um, wanting to work with. And they can be from any party. I don't care. I will work with with anyone and everyone because honest elections um, benefit everyone. So I don't care if it's, you know, I prefer that it was, um, you know, our freedom parties um, because those are the people that we've, become, you know, come to know and trust. And um, but it could be anyone. We all benefit from an honest election. And if you're going to vote, then you want your vote to count. That's always been the way. And I just I feel that you know you know there's a lot of sovereign groups now who go, I'm not voting, and and you know and that's absolutely fine so long as they take themselves off the roll. 
because you can't, if you're not going to vote, you have to take yourself off the roll um, because those votes can be used, actually. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, we still have this system and if, you know, if so many people don't vote, then it's just going to mean that those who do vote are choosing for you. And we're in a bit of a transition phase, aren't we, uh, Well, they Tracy? reckon there's a million. The biggest group of voters is those who don't vote. And, you know, there's always been, over the years, there's always someone trying to access that group and trying to get them out and saying, come on, guys, you know, enroll to vote. There's a million of you. Um, and it's never worked, actually. It's never worked. So there are a million people who are entirely disenfranchised and disinterested. And I totally understand that because, you know, we haven't, I don't believe we've had a great prime minister since Norman Kirk. And, you know, someone argue, I tried to argue with me about that um, last night. Oh, I don't even know if Norman Kirk was any good. But, you know, from what I know, he was uh, he was an amazing man doing great things. And so what was that in the 60s, 70s? And, you know, when he died, actually a lot of, lot of great um, New Zealand policy died with him. Yeah, and there's a big push to um, bring back a lot of great policy. And like you say, it starts with an honest and fair election. So thank you, Tracy, so much for joining us. We will put your email address um, down in the description below as well. It's a great initiative. And I think if if you're out there, um, email any of your groups and any of your political parties and tell them to get in touch with Tracy and be part of this because it's a really important uh, thing that's happening because, of course, there's a lot of questions about the American election and it's it's worth uh, fighting for to yeah. have a, a the, fair election, Tracy. The Electoral Commission has already come out and, and said they're worried about misinformation around the election. So we do need to really keep this, um, yeah, good information, true, the truth. We want that. That's all we, we want, isn't it? That's right. Thanks all so right. much for joining us. Oh, well, thanks, Hannah. Lovely to be here. And I'm all looking right. forward to making this all happen. Sounds and good. Thanks for helping. So get involved, everybody, if you're in New Zealand, either, you know, volunteer for a political party that you support or contact Tracy and help with the integrity of our election. Because after all, this is all about uh, people power. And, you know, the politicians have got a bit used to thinking that they don't actually work for us and they somehow think that we just need to follow them. But if you're not engaged in the political system, then of course they're just going to steamroll over you or do what they like because they feel like the people are just totally apathetic and don't care so it's great to see more and more people actually getting involved and um it's us, up to us to take the power back so all is not lost yet hang in there um a couple of little things you might like to know if you don't already because hey let's face it most of us are switching mainstream media off um but parliament did have its final sitting day on thursday for this term and then Parliament will officially be dissolved on the 8th of September. If you are not yet enrolled to vote, you do have until the 10th um, of September to get on that main roll, and then you'll still be able to um, be sent. They will send you your little voting card. And if you do happen to miss that um, and you're not on the roll, you just have to do a special registration after that and on the day as well. So if you're thinking of standing, you may like to approach your favourite party and 
get in your enrollment, sorry, your application to stand by, in by the, or your nomination to stand in by the 15th of September. Now, I just wanted to finish off um, by saying there's a lot of debate going on within the freedom movement now, and I feel like a lot of this rhetoric around a wasted vote if you vote for a minor party is being pushed by people that support New Zealand First. And I feel like New Zealand First is trying to play both sides in a sense, the mainstream and the freedom movement. And maybe that's something to watch out for because it's good when people want to talk the talk, but are they willing to walk the walk? And I'm not too hopeful given the fact that Winston Peters has not yet um, actually fronted and come on the show. Um, They are doing the political dodge and it's a bit concerning because I know so many of you out there, our audience, actually want to hear from Winston and want to see him front up. Uh, he's certainly, I guess, maybe getting cold feet because he doesn't want to be accused of courting the conservative.